I'm Taylor. I'm Rachel. And, and we're, we're the, the Barclays. And this is our podcast about politics, religion, the culture, and our opinions on all those things. And also wanted to apologize for the buzzing in the last few episodes. Yikes. Sorry about that. We're still working out the kinks here. We're praying for no buzzing this episode. Bear with us. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> Rachel, what are we talking about today? Well, Taylor, you said this is about our opinions. We're going to talk about cancel culture and specifically the hot topic of this week, Dr. Seuss, <laughs> a doctor we're very familiar with in this household. Our son really likes the ABC's book, Go Dog Go. We spent many hours reading those. Go Dog Go, I think, was P.D. Eastman. Oh, you're right. I mix them up because they like all look Yeah, they have a similar aesthetic. The Maybe the same publisher. You're right. You're right. Good catch. Okay. We strive for accuracy <laughs> on the Barclays podcast. <laughs> That's right. Fact check. Okay. <laughs> so, Dr. Seuss. Um, it, it was widely reported that Dr. Seuss was canceled. It was, I mean rage tweets and broadcast news mm -hmm. that dr seuss is getting canceled in fact i even fell for some of these headlines you I, don't did? Even, I don't even think i told you this <laughs> i like saw oh no dr seuss being canceled i didn't read anything else and i just went to amazon and was like you know i've been meaning to buy hudson some of like the classics like green uh, eggs and ham that we don't have yep, so i'm gonna go ahead yep. and order them well i went to order the like best of box set and it was sold out. Wow. People were so worried that Dr. Seuss was being canceled. And rightly, I mean, I if I could fall for this, anyone could fall for it. So, Taylor, tell us what really happened. Well, I mean, all this whole thing just reminds me of so many other cancel culture type deals where, you know, and I think it's in the Peanuts cartoons, Charlie Brown, you know, Linus and Lucy. They get in a fight and it's sort of this like, cloud of arms and a dust cloud of arms and fists flying and there's stars and that's kind of what happens in the twitter sphere social media and our culture these days is this just perpetual cloud that roves roves the zeitgeist <laughs> one of the metasphere and you can choose to engage and jump on in the cloud or you can just watch it zoom by i mostly uh, watch this one zoom by but uh from what I understand, there were six Dr. Seuss books that were the publisher decided to stop producing because of insensitive, racist depictions of other cultures in them. And I remember I looked at the list and I'd never even heard of these <laughs> titles. So I was a bit baffled that everyone was losing their minds over books that I've, I mean, I've never read them, but you know, I, I've never even heard anyone talk about them, but apparently they were near and dear to some people. Right. Well, I was looking at the these six that got canceled are lesser known titles of Dr. Seuss's that his estate decided to pull from publication. Right. And, you know, they said, I forget, I think it was yearly. The book, Oh, the Places You'll Go is one of his most popular. Right. That one, um, they print like 500,000 copies a year. The ones that they were talking about pulling from publication, they print around 5,000. Wow. So just okay. so so many fewer in circulation, lesser known. Truly. Honestly, had this not been a big news story, we probably would not have even known they weren't on the shelves. Nope. But then we had folks like Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader 
in the House of Representatives doing a reading from Green Eggs and Ham, which is not canceled. Not canceled. No. Unpublished. It was so much, there was just so much, uh, of it. people were in such a tizzy about these titles that, what, 5,000 copies, that's an amazing fact. When it was, from what I read about the depictions, I mean, like Asian people with very stereotypical garb on, and I think one of the lines was, you know, referred to a Japanese, like very not good things to have in a book so i like if if we opened it we would be pretty shocked yeah to probably see these images yeah definitely definitely and sounds and like it was a prompt good move us to have a conversation with our child once he's a little older about you know how if we had that book pulled from the library we opened right. it up to something like that we would probably right. want to have a conversation with hudson this is not appropriate right um right which reminds me of the other things that are people get upset about mainly what conservatives <gasps> evangelicals well yeah and i you know th- let me first say that people think that this cancel culture is an entirely new phenomena i remember my first memory of a big cancel culture moment happening was when the dixie chicks got canceled canceled by republicans and evangelicals I remember people they snatching do? their CDs. I forget what exactly they said, but they spoke out against George oh, W. Bush right. in the Iraq right, right, War. Right, 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 right. I mean, people were enraged. Everyone I knew in my community smashing Dixie Chick CDs. Well, then there's, there's the two sides of this thing, right? Because then there's that. The, the conservatives upset about their favorite cultural icons doing something that's contra their beliefs. But then there's conservatives upset about something that maybe mainstream quote mainstream media the left decides to pull or deems or wants to cancel themselves mm-hmm. so it's kind of like <laughs> 31 different flavors of cancel culture so here we're, we're talking in the dr seuss situation we're talking about the publisher deciding to pull some particular books no one's ever read and then the right losing their minds about that decision right 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 and you know i I found it interesting this is happening in the context of a 1.9 trillion dollar covid relief bill you know 650 pages we talked about that last episode it passed while apparently people were just losing their minds about unheard of dr seuss books Right. So maybe we the priorities should get rearranged here. Right. I mean, this has gotten so much more airtime than things that actually materially matter to people's lives. Totally. Totally. But but back to just, you know, cancel culture. We were kind of flippantly talking about this Dr. Seuss thing. And um, there is something, though, about what what should we do about problem books, other pieces of media that... Um, one group deems problematic or mm-hmm. offensive or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what should we do about that? Do we just totally erase it, pull it forever? How do we handle that? Uh, we were, we were talking about how Disney has actually handled some of the old movies mm-hmm. that have some depictions that are hurtful to people. Right. Actually. Yeah. Before this podcast, I was looking at that. Cause I think I saw some post about Disney and like pulling Peter Pan and some other movies from their listing when actually they're still on Disney plus and I pulled it up and there's a 10 second just like five sentence explainer that this film has hurtful depictions of minorities and 
instead of pulling it, we hope this can spark a conversation to learn more info and they give a website. That was a good way to handle the situation, to direct people to additional resources to talk about it, um, specifically in the context of racially hurtful content. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the sensitive way that they handled that was really wise and kind of gets to why all out canceling is a bad idea, we think, is because the the more speech, the better. So not erasing things gives a chance. Yes, people are going to misuse certain things, mm-hmm. right? And misuse certain views. And there will always be people who are nasty or racist or whatnot. Hopefully that, you know, will get better and better over time. But having, you know, the opportunity to see what the past was like and have a conversation with your kids mm-hmm. um, and, you know, not, not glorify it, but um, all out canceling something, it usually does not solve the problem. Yeah. It's important though, to be conscious though, of how these insensitive depictions can impact people, mm-hmm. particularly people of color and minorities and, and story does matter. Yeah. Story really matters to how we shape a cultural context around something. Right, right. And I think, gosh, I mean, it's, it, it is tough because I, I agree with you, you know, more speech, the better, but there is speech that is just hurtful. And the way that Disney did approach it of, you know, sparking a conversation, raising awareness Sharing the other side of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that is, that is important. I, I, it's important, too, to have empathy for those things, mm-hmm. like how they can come across and impact the people who are negatively depicted. And uh, maybe that builds into our Christian response. Like, how should we respond to all this as Christians? Mm-hmm. You know, again, going back to, you know, first, no fear. Yes. Uh, we're secure in Christ. We've talked about that before on the podcast. Our future, the future is secure. And throughout history, Christians have not been majority culture. It's important to keep that in mind. You know, actually the the faith came about in the context of for, you know, a few hundred years being in minority. So the fact that maybe, you know, not in the context of racist things for the most part, but for say, morals or viewpoints that Christians would disagree with keeping in mind that it's okay if uh, it's not the ascendant cultural yeah exactly exactly totally right yeah I mean this this may be my old Sunday school bracelet WWJD what would Jesus do (laughs) I think it's a good question to ask um, as corny as that phrase has become and I Uh, This verse comes to mind when I think about how to handle um, something like, should these Dr. Seuss books be pulled or not? Uh, John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Hmm. Um, And, you know, sometimes as Christians, we're called to put our pride, our comfort in the backseat for our neighbor. Um, And, and, thinking first, how do I love God? How do I love neighbor? And, you know, 
if we have to give up a couple books that we didn't mm-hmm. care that much about yeah. anyway, <laughs> yep. um, that, that that's not giving up too much, right? For right. loving our neighbor well. And so I think, you know, asking instead of flying into rage about cancel culture, stopping, getting the full story mm-hmm. and thinking, well, how does this impact the person yep. that they are purportedly trying to help? Exactly. And, you know, some things about cancel culture are ridiculous. Yep. But other things, I think it doesn't hurt to stop and have empathy. In fact, yes. not only does it not hurt, that should be our first exactly. mode of thinking. Those are the lenses that we should be looking through as Christians. Right. Christ, is he empathized with us by taking on a human body, like full blast empathy. <laughs> but I love your tips. Those are really good. So any, any other, any other thoughts, Taylor? Man, this could be an eight hour conversation. <laughs> right. I mean, we could go on and on about free speech and yeah, other whatnot. examples, but maybe we should talk about our stinkers and thinkers, our media <laughs> stinkers and thinkers, media stinkers and thinkers this week. Okay. Taylor, what is your stinker? What is my stinker? I've completely forgotten what my stinker is. What is my stinker? Oh, right. (laughs) This is how much I care about it, I guess. Maybe we'll edit that part out. Daft Punk is my stinker. I love Daft Punk. And they broke up a few, maybe it was a a week ago, a week and a half ago, they announced it. We listened to the album on repeat when the announcement came out. I know. Random access memories. And I distinctly remember listening to that for the first time I think it was 2014 I was in Florida writing the between Fort Lauderdale and West Palm Beach seeing a friend and just turning it on it was like oh my gosh I've never heard anything like this but then you know I, earlier as a you know in high school I remember listening to their more dance electronic stuff so I'm bummed that Daft Punk broke up I was really really looking forward to the next album and you'll have to excuse Taylor's brain fart um, we, we've had kind of a rough week over here. We have two weeks of canceled childcare. Um, so we're, we're running a little low on energy. Canceling Seuss and childcare. <laughs> Unrelated. Um, so move a little slow. Okay. My stinker is what everybody is talking about this week, which is the Oprah interview with Prince Harry and <laughs> Meghan Markle. Let the record state. I'm not talking about it. <laughs> Well, truth be told, so I saw all sorts of buzz about it and I've group texts with friends going, dissecting it of who's in the right here, what's going on. Um, And I haven't actually finished the interview, but I've watched part of it and excerpts and commentaries. So I need to finish the whole actual interview. Um, But my my general gist of it is it's 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 kind of making this suffering that Harry and Meghan have gone through of living in their beautiful Santa Barbara mansion with their free range chickens and her $5,000 dress. Yeah. In the front, they show like their free range chickens. Huh. Um, I've actually been in this neighborhood that Oprah and Meghan live in. And I like randomly got to stay in a house in that neighborhood. And let me tell you, it is idyllic and beautiful. Um, wow. And so anyway, you know, she gets to wear these beautiful diamonds and live in celebrity culture. And I just have a hard time. I, 
anyone can go through uh, mental health problems and have family troubles right. and you know that that is suffering i will give her that everyone you know it's different degrees but it felt a little insensitive to me to be having this huge show of how much she's the victim when our world is going through a really tough time right now we're going through a global pandemic and people are losing their jobs their livelihoods their family members and she's sitting in a multi-thousand dollar dress talking how sad it is that her sister-in-law made her cry before her wedding. Like everyone has family drama. <laughs> Who hasn't been there? <laughs> Not me. I love my sister's-in-law. <laughs> um, That's good clarification. Yes. So I just, yeah, I just had a hard time going there with being sad and thinking they're these huge victims. Also, she, you know, the part I listened to, she said she didn't know she was supposed to curtsy when she met the queen. I mean, does she have the internet? Did she, <laughs> just a quick Google search. If you're dating Prince Harry, don't you think you would have done a courteous yeah. Google search? A courteous curtsy Google <laughs> search? <laughs> or ask Harry? Yeah, it just, yeah. Hmm. What's your thinker? Okay, on a more serious note, my thinker of the week is an article by Pastor Tim Keller that was in The Atlantic, and it really... Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. It really, yeah, we, we talked about this a little bit together, really synthesized thoughts that we have had on our journey of uh, suffering, you know, not Harry and Meghan style suffering, <laughs> but um, our, we had, or I had a brush with death that you know, you lived through two, yeah, yeah. Um, multiple, <laughs> yeah. actually, and our um, in in my health trials that you were along the ride with, and we've talked a lot about just you and I how how unprepared in our culture we are for suffering, mm -hmm. for facing mortality, mm -hmm. that we just don't have a lexicon for it, and it feels very unjust and unfair because um, we just don't think that life should turn out that way. It just doesn't feel right. And um, I mean, Pastor Tim Keller dropped so much wisdom in this Atlantic article, but um, it, you know, his response to this feeling that it, it doesn't feel right and just that he has, um, as he's grappling with having pancreatic cancer and his own mortality, um, and, and this just not feeling fair to him. He, he talks about, well, it doesn't, how could a good God allow suffering? And one of the many things he says is, but if there is a God great enough to merit your anger over suffering you witness or endure, then there is a God great enough to have reasons for allowing it that you can't detect. It's not logical to believe in an infinite God and still be convinced that you can tally the sums of good and evil as he does, or to grow angry that he doesn't always see things your way. Tough. And then he goes on to talk about Taylor's favorite book. A Secular Age by Charles Taylor, which <laughs> right. happened to be my thinker. Y'all, we, we did not actually even plan that. We did not. And I was actually debating another one, but anyway, I love talking about A Secular Age. It took me two and a half years to read. It's about 800 pages. It's a tome. A tome. Could have used some editing, but I, lots of theologians and cultural commentators were talking about it, so I read a book about the book, and then I read the book, 
And actually, I'm going to hopefully soon read another book about the book because there's so much to pull out. But basically, he tries to answer the question, why was it default to believe in God, say, in 1400 Europe, and now in the year, you know, in the year 2000, it was optional, and it was just as valid to not believe in God as it was to believe in God, and even you know, less valid to believe in God than to not believe in God. How did we get here? And he says, no, no, it's not because of scientific advances or what he calls the subtraction theory. It's this amalgamation of, you know, shifts and, you know, default thinking. And I mean, it takes, <laughs> it's 800 pages of, of, you know, pulling, a, pulling apart this Gordian knot. And even he has points where he says, I, you know, I, I may not even have it right here, but it was really, really helpful. It was one of those books that gave me a sense for the water I'm swimming in. You know, fish are, might be unaware of the water they're swimming in, and I think we can do that as human beings. The point that connects with Teller, Keller's article, though, is the notion that also came about, you know, in our modern era, secular age, uh, is theodicy, the explanation of evil and suffering with an all-powerful, all-good God. Even the notion that we can question God's choice or lack of action in a moment of suffering that's brand new 600 years ago suffering and evil was a part of this cosmic ordering and god is all powerful he has it under control and if i'm suffering god's in charge like there's no question but now as keller points out in the article we can we think and you know thanks to a bunch of different reasons including like scientific advances and logic and philosophy we think we can know how the universe should operate. So when anything deviates from that evil and suffering, we say, oh, well, we can't think of a reason for these bad things to happen, so there must not be one. Therefore, there must not be a, a God who's willing to dive in and help me. You're, and you're not saying one era is better than the other. No, no, no. It's, it's just a, it's a perspectives. It's mm -hmm. a complete shift in perspective, and it was super, super helpful. It's given me a whole new read on history, particularly anything before the 1700s. Um, I would recommend it. If you have two years to go through. <laughs> you can do it faster than me, for sure. <laughs> but it's it's an excellent book. Well, this was a very serious note to end on. Um, those were our stinkers and thinkers of the week. Let us know what you think. Yes. Uh, give us some... Uh, stars or reviews on the podcast or send us your private disagreements. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.